All right, here we are. Welcome to all who are joining us tonight for another uh, Thirsty Thursday. Uh, here's my promise to you. 30 minutes, no more. This talk that I'm going to give tonight is going to be a 30-minute talk. I even have a timer here in front of me, so hold uh, fast. This will happen. Let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for giving us witnesses. We thank you for showing us in the lives of others the path that we should follow. And so, Lord, we just ask that we may come to learn a little bit about your witness, Dorothy Day, and that we may be inspired by her and strive to live as she lived. We pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not too long ago, earlier this afternoon, I was preparing for my talk, and I thought, you know, I need to have something, a little bit of a, a kick here at the beginning that's going to catch your attention. And so I, I got on, and I knew about this uh, 30 interesting facts about Dorothy Day. And I said, I'm going to go through these 30, and I'm going to choose five. Five interesting facts. And then as I started going through the 30, I chose 19. So, <laughs> so here we go. We'll go quickly through these interesting facts about this woman that I'm going to be speaking of tonight. Dorothy Day, Dorothy Day, her father, as she was a child, her father was a sports rider. He covered uh, racetrack news, so dog racing and, and horse racing. That was her father. Dorothy Day loved to read novels. Her favorite author, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, number, let's see, let's see, number three here. She rejected organized religion. Uh, Dorothy Day rejected organized religion in college because she didn't see so-called Religious people actually helping the poor. Next, she went to jail in 1917. She was born in 1897, and so she went to jail at a young age, 1917, uh, with a group of suffragists trying to uh, get women's voting rights. And so she was demonstrating outside of the White House. She went to jail, uh, I think, at the age of 20. Maybe it was 19. Uh, at, in the year 1918, I think you'll find this interesting, in the year 1918, Dorothy Day uh, worked as a nurse. She was in, in nurse's school, but she worked at a nurse in New York City. What was going on in 1918? Yes, World War I, but what else? The last great pandemic, the Spanish flu. And so Dorothy Day was working at a nurse in New York, uh, seeing much of the, the death and turmoil that was caused by the last great pandemic. Next. Catholic Worker Newspaper. This is Dorothy Day's newspaper. It appeared in May of 1933. 2,500 copies were distributed by hand. Eventually, the circulation grew to 190,000 uh, at its height. The first house of hospitality. What are these things? Well, these are houses where people could come. They could uh, get a meal. They could maybe even find a place to stay for the night, a house of hospitality. The first one opened 1933. Currently, over 220 Catholic worker houses of hospitality exist, all because of Dorothy Day. Next, her written works include eight books, 350-plus articles uh, for journals and magazines, and over 1,000 articles that went into the Catholic New Worker newspaper. Dorothy Day was a heavy smoker, for many years, and then eventually after she prayed and prayed and prayed, she just simply walked away from it, gave it up cold turkey. She went to daily mass and weekly confession after her conversion. Uh, she regularly went on religious retreats. She traveled long distances by bus. When she was on a bus, she would carry a Bible, she would carry the Liturgy of the Hours, 
and a jar of instant coffee for her travels. She went to jail four times from 1955 to 1959. What was going on there? There were, uh, basically, they were having, uh, what would we call them, defense drills, civil defense drills, because it's the height of the nuclear arms race and everybody's afraid of, of nuclear war. Dorothy Day went to jail four times Every year she'd go to jail because they'd have this defense drill where everybody had to go and like hide underneath their desk or find this place to hide in case of a nuclear war. She would go and stand in the park and say, hiding under a desk isn't going to help you any more than what I'm doing right now. And so she just kind of had this way about her to say, if we start hiding under our desks and we think that that's going to save us from a nuclear war, then we're more likely keep agitating those who might start a nuclear war or even start one ourselves. So she was very much a pacifist and she would go to war, she would go to jail every year just making this demonstration that nuclear war could never be the answer or an answer. All right, next, she was a prolific writer including many years of correspondence with the monk Thomas Merton. She was good friends with Thomas Merton. She was a grandmother nine times. Dorothy Day went to India to speak with Mother Teresa's novices. She received a cross from Mother Teresa that was worn by the Missionaries of Charity. So she'd met Mother Teresa. Her last jailing was in 1973. She was 75 years old. She was protesting with Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers in California. Uh, Her gravestone has engraved on it a design of loaves and fishes and the words Deo Gracias, meaning thanks be to God. Uh, The final thing that I would make mention of is that Dorothy Day, I would proclaim to be one of my greatest friends that I've never met. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that in the year 2011-2012, I spent many an hour reading about this woman and her life. I spent many an hour writing about this woman and her life. I wrote my thesis on Dorothy Day, and I was just greatly inspired by her. The little stories that I continue to hear about her, they still make me smile. It's as if I kind of knew her, and uh, as I said, I'm, I'm just continually inspired by her, and she would be someone that I could even proclaim to be a friend of mine, although I'd never met her. I want to start with this after those points of interest about Dorothy Day in this last, say, 20 to 25 minutes, I want to begin at the end. I want to begin at the end. This woman who had a very tumultuous life, at the end of her life, as she lay in her bed dying, she says this. She wrote this. I try to think back. I try to remember this life that the Lord gave me. The other day, I wrote down the words, a life remembered. And I was going to try to make a summary for myself I was going to write what mattered most, but I couldn't do it. I just sat there and thought of our Lord and his visit to us all those centuries ago. And I said to myself that my great luck was to have had him on my mind for so long in my life. So this is a woman who recognizes on her deathbed that the great grace of her life is that she spent most of her life thinking about our Lord. I'm not going to cover today those years in which she had our Lord at the center of her mind. In fact, I'm going to cover a little bit more of the tumultuous years, those years in which she uh, had an inclination for God, but then she fell away from God and found her way 
back to God. In fact, I'm going to cover the first 35 years of her life. What was my thesis about? What was the question I raised in my thesis as I wrote and wrote? And I've told people that I probably wrote 250 pages on Dorothy Day. And then I had to whittle it down to about 35 that I kept, that I put in my thesis. Uh, My thesis was this, is that I think she should be a canonized saint. That was my main thesis. Agreeing with me is the Cardinal of New York, Cardinal John O'Connor. In the year 1997, here's what he wrote. Not the current Cardinal, but the Cardinal in 1997, John O'Connor. He said, Dorothy Day, after her conversion from a life akin to that of pre-converted Augustine, who Father Drew spoke about last night, or last week, that's kind of what inspired me to start speaking about Dorothy Day, to thinking again about Dorothy Day. I was thinking of the talk that he gave last week, which was on St. Augustine. I'd recommend, absolutely recommend that you go back and, and watch that here on this same Facebook page. But he says that after her conversion, she proved to be a stout defender of human life. The conversion of mind and heart that she exemplifies speaks volumes to all. He calls her a saint for our day. In short, he contends that her pre-conversion life should not preclude her cause for sainthood, but rather intensify it. So what's going on in her, in her pre-conversion life that seems to be so controversial? Well, we're going to get into that here eventually. Four points in this talk. I've got about 20 minutes left here. The main four points are going to be these. Dorothy Day, as a very young person, just, just found this this inkling toward God. She found herself drawn to the goodness of God, to prayer, to piety. She also found herself drawn to the goodness of of love and and of neighbor and love of neighbor, nature, just those things that we would call to be good, true, beautiful. But as her life went on, she was plagued by worldly affairs, worldly pleasures, And then, in the midst of that, found her way back to God. Not all that undifferent from St. Augustine. From St. Augustine. All right, so let's start. Let's talk a little bit about the ways in which Dorothy Day was drawn to goodness and to love of neighbor. Goodness and to love of neighbor. She moved to Oakland, California. Her and her family, she was born in Brooklyn, moved to Oakland, California at the age of six. She lived there for a couple years as her dad had a job uh, writing about the racetrack. But as an eight-year-old, that would have been, what year? That would have been 1906, what took place in, in San Francisco in 1906. Perhaps many of you already know this because you're such history buffs. Uh, this great, devastating earthquake that lasted two minutes and 20 seconds, and yet life could never go back to being the same after that two minutes and 25 seconds. The earthquake took place in San Francisco. If you know your geography, San Francisco is right there on the ocean, and then you've got the bay and Oakland on the other side of the bay. San Francisco took the brunt of of the earthquake. Oakland was affected as well, but not as much as San Francisco. And so many refugees, a lot of refugees, made their way to Oakland on the other side of the bay. That's where Dorothy lived. That's where her family lived. Here's what she said about those days and what she remembered about her family, her mother, and those refugees that came. She says, what I remember most plainly about the earthquake was the human human warmth and kindness of everyone afterward. Mother and, and all of our neighbors were busy from morning to night cooking meals. They gave away every extra garment they possessed. 
And this is the, the line that can strike you, right? She says, And while the crisis lasted, people loved each other. That was her memory of the after effects of that earthquake. This great crisis caused people to love each other. It affected her deeply. She continued to write about that experience she had as an eight-year-old throughout the rest of her life. She was drawn to goodness. She was drawn to a love of neighbor. Dorothy was also drawn to prayer. I'm going to read just a couple paragraphs here from a book written by a friend of mine, Terry Wright, Terrence Wright. Dr. Terry Wright, he was a professor of mine in the seminary. He taught philosophy. And I, I, I'll have to be honest with you that part of my love for Dorothy Day was because of the love that he had for her. We sat down and, and had lunch one time, and, and he was telling me that he was writing a book on Dorothy Day, that he'd written some articles on Dorothy Day. I don't think he'd started his book yet. Um, and you could just see him being emotional about her life and how much she had, she had affected him, and that affected me. And so when I sat down to say, what am I going to write about? I, I decided to write about, about Dorothy Day as well. The name of his book is Dorothy Day, An Introduction to Her Life and Thought. It's uh, published by Ignatius Press. And so I would absolutely recommend that you guys go out and buy this book. But here's what it says, again, about Dorothy. After the earthquake, uh, she moves very shortly thereafter to Chicago with her family. Her father lost his job because of the earthquake, and so they moved to Chicago looking for work. Initially, they didn't find the work that he was hoping for, and so they had to live extremely uh, poorly. Here's what it says. Initially, her father was unable to find a job in Chicago. And Day had her first experience of poverty during that time. Her family lived in a tenement building in the city. And Day was so ashamed of her home that when she walked home with school friends, she would enter a nicer apartment building so that her friends would think that she lived there. After her friends had passed, then she would leave and go to her own home. But it's interesting because it was in this situation, in this situation of poverty, that Dorothy Day was introduced to Catholicism through her friendship with her neighbors, the Barretts. Catherine Barrett was one of Dorothy's playmates, and Day was very moved by Catherine's mother and her piety. Here's what she recalls. Dorothy Day says, It was Mrs. Barrett who gave me my first impulse toward Catholicism. I went up to Catherine's to call for her to come out and play, and in the front bedroom, Mrs. Barrett was simply there on her knees, saying her prayers. She turned to tell me that Catherine and the children had all gone to the store. And then she turned back and continued praying. Dorothy remembers, I felt a warmth burst. I, I, I'm sorry. Dorothy remembers, I felt a warm burst of love toward Mrs. Barrett welling up with inside of me that I've never forgotten. A feeling of gratitude, a feeling of happiness in simply seeing this woman pray. She says, it still warms my heart. When I remember her, she had God. And there was beauty and joy in her life. Mrs. Barrett, in her assorted little tenement flat, finished her breakfast dishes at 10 o'clock every morning and then got down on her knees and prayed to God. It's an interesting thing, I just touch on this just slightly, that Dorothy, again, this is like a nine-year-old Dorothy having these memories of seeing a woman pray and a burst of, of warmth and joy enters her heart, just seeing the piety 
of another. She said that she had another friend by the name of Mary Harrington. Her friend Mary Harrington was the first to tell Day about the saints. And she grew to love the stories of the saints, Day did, Dorothy. She said that she would uh, then try to persuade her little sister that the two of them should emulate the saints by being pious and sleeping on the floor. She thought, if only we sleep on the floor, we'll be like the saints, and then we'll go to heaven. So this is Dorothy Day's first 10 years of her life. She was drawn to goodness, she was drawn to love of neighbor, and she was drawn to God. She has vivid memories of all of that. But then, as she became a teenager, worldly affairs started to enter in. I would recommend the book, The Long Loneliness. The Long Loneliness. She starts talking about this crush that she had on this boy and some of the, the kind of the, the bad thoughts she had in regards to this boy as a teenager. And so all of a sudden, you know, things that happened to teenagers were happening to Dorothy. She graduated high school at the age of 16 and went to college, the University of Illinois uh, in Urbana. And, and so she's now in college as a 16-year-old. This is a very interesting situation. And in college, what happens? Well, it's one of some of those things that still happen in colleges today. People start, professors, etc., cetera, uh, to try to discount religion, to try and, and say that it's all nonsense. And, and Dorothy definitely had to experience that. She said that uh, many of her professors would even claim that, like Marx did, uh, Religion is the opium, the drug of the peoples, the opium of the, the masses. This is going on again. Uh, so many things intertwined in Dorothy's life. She still has this love for people. She still has inclinations for God, but those inclinations toward God are diminishing. The love for people, it doesn't diminish. She loves Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle. This is a book that was written about, written about Chicago and the poor, the urban poor of Chicago, working in the meat-packing plants and, and some of the, the situations that they faced. She would even walk her little brother. She had a little brother, and she'd push him around in, in a carriage, and she'd walk through some of the poorer neighborhoods in Chicago where Upton Sinclair was talking about these things. It says that she was particularly intrigued by the lives of the urban poor. Inspired by Upton Sinclair's novel, Dorothy would walk the south side of the city. She would expose herself to the reality of America's urban poverty. I walked for miles, she wrote, pushing my brother in his carriage, exploring interminably gray streets, fascinating in their dreary sameness, past tavern after tavern, where I envisioned such scenes as a Polish wedding party in Sinclair's story. Day became ever more aware of such poverty. She became aware of the strange beauty as well that existed in the midst of that poverty. There were tiny flower gardens. While all was drab and gray, there were tiny flower gardens, she remembered. There were vegetable patches in the yards. There was the odor of geranium leaves, tomato plants, and marigolds. She said, here was enough beauty to satisfy me. Even in the midst of this poor, even in the midst of poverty, she found these touches of beauty. All right, back to college. Her search for social justice, for trying to be able to help these people that she loved because of such novels, because of her experiences, even with the earthquake back when she was in Oakland in the San Francisco area. She says that she starts to develop this love for social justice, for helping people out but it starts to become characterized by atheistic ideologies. Again, influenced by professors at the University of Illinois who, following 
Marx labeled religion as the opium of the masses. She noticed that many of these Marxists, many of these atheists, although proclaiming themselves to have not God, still lived godly lives. And she was so inspired by them. She was intrigued by their work and the work of those who spent themselves trying to implement even new socialistic economic systems. Again, what years are these? These are the years of the Bolshevik Revolution. These are the years that you hear about the Russian Revolution. These are the years that, that everybody in America, is, they're worried, you know, is, is this person a communist? Is this person a socialist? And, and she was intrigued by all of it. She was intrigued by socialism. She had friends who were truly socialists, and she wanted to be a socialist herself. She was a socialist. And again, what else is going on in in her life. She's now in her teenage years, moving toward her late teenagers. And so she has to start struggling with the flesh and the temptations of the flesh, right? But she's doing so because of her guidance by the professors at her college. She's doing so without any kind of religion, without any kind of religion. From her teenage years until her early 30s, Dorothy Day was strongly influenced by the desires of the flesh. And in general, she would put up, very, she would put up little, little fight against the desires of the flesh. Here's what she said. Here's her quote. The life of the flesh, it called out to me as good and wholesome. Regardless of man's laws, which I felt rebellious, rebelliously, you know what a word I'm trying to say. We're made for the repression of others. The strong, she thought, could make their own lives. In fact, they were beyond good and evil. If you were strong, you didn't need to worry about these theories of good and evil that are thrown at you by religious people. What was good, what was evil? Well, Dorothy would say that the satisfied flesh had its own law. Eventually, Dorothy dropped out of college, moved with her family from Chicago to the New York area. Again, this is now approaching that 1918 era when she's working at a nur- as a nurse at Kings County Hospital. She meets a man by the name of Lionel Moise. Lionel Moise and her become lovers, you can say. And uh, after a period of time with Lionel, he was not a good man. He was, I think, eight or nine years her senior. And after uh, being with him and, and being his lady friend, if you will, uh, she became pregnant. She became pregnant, and he very much pressured her to get rid of the child, to have an abortion. And Dorothy Day had an abortion. Earlier, when I was talking about Cardinal John O'Connor, referring to her pre-conversion days, some things that many people say shouldn't allow her to be a saint, that's what he's talking about. Particularly this. There's a great regret of her life. And Lionel Moise, this great dude, he left her. He was supposed to pick her up from the abortion clinic that day. He never showed. She eventually was able to get home, hailed a taxi. And when she got home, Lionel Moyes left her a note 
advising her to marry a rich man because he would probably want to borrow some money from her if he ever returned. And his parting words to her is that she simply should forget about him. She said, I gave up the child hoping to save my relationship with him, and in the end, I lost both. Dorothy went into a bit of a a tailspin in those years to follow. There was an attempted suicide. She married a guy nearly twice her age. He took her over to Europe, and eventually they just simply split. She came back to the United States. She worked in Chicago for a while where she tried to to search out and find Lionel Moise and make him come back to be with her. She then moved to New Orleans, and eventually she moved back to New York, to Staten Island. And yet, in the turmoil of those days, as she was continually going this downward spiral, she was also, again, noticing that those inclinations which existed within her toward God, toward religion, continued to be pricked, continued to be prodded. The, the writings of Dostoevsky continued to influence her. And when she was in New Orleans, she would pass by the beautiful cathedral of New Orleans, and she would go in to pray. She would experience benediction. She said, I didn't know what was going on, but I was drawn in. She bought a Catholic book of prayers. A friend of hers, a Jewish woman, bought her her first rosary in these years. When she gets back to New York, she finds the love of her life, a man by the name of Foster Batterham, believing that she can never become pregnant again, believing that something happened in that abortion where she could never get pregnant again. She was deeply saddened by this fact. And yet, after seven years, and after a few years with Foster Batterham, she did become pregnant. And this is where much of a change, this is where she with the child growing within her, had only one desire. And that desire was to be thankful, to be filled with gratitude. And who is she going to thank? Who do I thank in the midst of this? I have to thank God above. And so while pregnant with her soon-to-be daughter, Tamar Teresa, she makes the decision that my daughter will be baptized a Catholic. Foster Batterham, he was an anarchist. He didn't want anything to do with this. He didn't want to have Dorothy get pregnant. How could you bring a child into this horrible, horrible world? Kind of the mindset of many anarchists. And Foster Batterham was like that. He most definitely did not want his daughter to be baptized because he sees religion as one of those institutions that makes those things that are wrong with the world wrong. And yet, Dorothy says, I don't care. I'm going to baptize this child. After baptizing the child, she continues to grow in love of God and in love of the Catholic faith. She, too, gets baptized just two years after that. It's an interesting dynamic between her and Foster, her and Foster, begging him to let her be baptized. He says no. She says, let me be baptized. Let us get married. He's like, I don't want anything to do with the institution of marriage. She says, but if we get married, then I can be baptized. I can go to church, and I can be your wife. We can have this child. And he says, I want nothing to do with it. She had to choose between Foster Batterham or the Catholic faith. And in the end, she chose the Catholic faith. It's a great story of this religious sister that she meets, who's giving lessons, who's training her so that she will know the faith so as to be baptized. 
And when this religious sister would walk into their house, she would walk in the front door and Foster Batterham would slam the back door, so angry that Dorothy was learning the faith. She had to make a decision. Was it going to be him or was it going to be the faith? And she chose the faith for five years after he left, for five years after she was baptized, after the great fight that caused him to leave, she continued to write letters to him, begging him to come back. I love you so much. Why can't you just indulge this thing and be my husband so we can do this? She writes these words. I can't help wanting to keep in touch with you in some way. I dream of you every night that I'm lying in your arms. It's torture to me, but so sweet as well. I do love you more than anything in the world, but I cannot help my religious sense which tortures me even more unless I do as I believe to be right. It's a fascinating story, my brothers and sisters. (laughs) Dorothy Day, in my last minute here, after Foster Batterham walks away, Dorothy does get baptized. And she starts figuring out what does this mean to be a baptized Catholic? She loved the poor, but strangely enough, she didn't see other Catholics who served the poor. And for five years, she begged for God to put someone in her life, whereas she could use her skills as a journalist, as a writer, and her love for the poor, so as to make the world a better place as a Catholic woman. December 9th, 1932. After she prays this heartfelt prayer, at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. Here's the prayer she prayed. She says, There I offered up a special prayer, a prayer which came with tears and anguish, that some way would open up for me to use what talents I possessed for my fellow workers, for the poor. That was December 8th. The very next day, December 9th, Dorothy Day returns home, and on her porch is a man by the name of Peter Morin. Peter Morin and Dorothy Day start what is known as the Catholic Worker Movement. To learn more about the Catholic Worker Movement, well, maybe we'll have another one of these, or perhaps you just go ahead and buy yourself a book on Dorothy Day. I recommend this one by Dr. Terry Wright. I also recommend The Long Loneliness or anything written by biographer Jim Forrest. I'm at 30 minutes and 59 seconds. So with that, God bless you. Peace to you. Let's pray. Glory be in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.